You'll take your copy of God's Word and find 2 Peter chapter 2. Tonight, verses uh, 1 through the first part of verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10a. Think tonight of this subject, danger from within, false teachers and their destructive heresies. This will be a two-part sermon, and I will uh, preach the next sermon next Sunday night, God willing, which will be the remainder of chapter 2. The most dangerous preacher in America never mentions sin in his sermons. He says he never mentions sin because God has called him to encourage people, not discourage them. And so week after week, he gives his congregation a steady diet of the same doctrine, which sounds something like stop thinking negative thoughts. You need to stop acting like a victim. Believe God has good things in store for you. Discover the champion within you. You can become a better you. It's all man-centered. And if you've seen him on television, you've heard him begin his sermons by lifting his Bible and saying, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. I expect most of you have heard Joel Osteen. But in my considered opinion, he is the most dangerous preacher in America because people who are not well taught will see him hold up his Bible and say, this is the incorruptible word of the living God. The problem is he doesn't preach the Bible and he gives multitudes of people false assurance that they have right standing with God when they do not, certainly they do not, if they have their understanding about how to be right with God based on one of his sermons. He is dangerous because what he leaves unsaid. And he is dangerous because multitudes follow him. 30 or 40,000 people gather weekend after weekend to hear this false prophet proclaim his false doctrine and many multitudes more follow him through the media. Now we should not be surprised that uh, there will be false teachers. Before we look at our text for tonight, just turn back one page to 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. There Peter writes, be self-controlled and alert. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Satan's most effective ploy to devour people is false prophets, false teachers teaching false doctrine. Did not Paul say to the Corinthians that Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light? Now, any morally upright person who does not know the Lord would recognize Satan uh, as a drug runner, as a pimp or a prostitute, uh, as some other something that we would think of as a wicked lifestyle. But when you come dressed up as an angel of light and you hold up the Bible and say, this is my Bible, I believe what it says, it says, but you neglect the very Bible that you profess to believe, then you become very dangerous. Now, pardon the illustration because I've used it more than once and I know it's trite for some of you, but for some of you, it's gonna be fresh. If you had a plane to catch at the Atlanta airport, and your, your wristwatch was five minutes slow, and you didn't know that, you very well might miss your flight. If it was five hours slow, you'd say, something's wrong with my watch. It's, it can't be this time. If it, it's off just a little bit, you're, you're more at risk of losing your flight. If it's off a lot, a lot you, you, you know something's wrong. And that's the issue with false teachers in the church. So tonight, think with me about this subject, danger from within, false teachers and their destructive heresies. False teachers and their destructive heresies. With our Bible's open to 2 Peter chapter 2, let's begin with verse 1. But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And they will secretly induce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he heard and so. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature 
and despise authority. So tonight, danger from within, false teachers, and their destructive heresies. I want you to see with me in verses 1 through 3 a profile of false teachers. Peter gives us a description, a profile of what a false teacher is like. Now look in verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Notice in that first sentence, there were, past tense, false prophets. You can read about them in the Old Testament. But he says in the latter part of that first sentence, there will be, future tense, false teachers among you. And apparently these false teachers had already arisen in the first century apostolic church, even before Peter's death by martyrdom. Martin Lloyd-Jones was acclaimed by many, I would not disagree with this, as the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world in the middle of the 20th century. For 30 years, he preached from the pulpit of Westminster Chapel there in the shadow of Buckingham Palace in the heart of London. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I quote, there were false prophets and teachers in the early church. There are still false prophets and teachers. And if we are to understand the times in which we live, the first thing we have to do is realize that the greatest danger confronting us today is the danger that arises from false prophets and false teachers. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said it's the greatest danger that confronts us. He continues, therefore, there is nothing more important for us than that we should be clear in our minds as to how to differentiate between the true and the false. Verses uh, one through three, we have seven characteristics of these false teachers. The first is that they are devious. Look in the first part of verse one, they are devious. Peter tells us they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Now, by secretly, it means that they don't just come out and say, I'm a false teacher. They pretend to be something they are not. And if we are not discerning, we will be deceived. A false teacher will use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. So you'll hear a false teacher talk about the resurrection, but he doesn't mean that people literally arose from, that Jesus literally arose from the dead. You will hear him, a false teacher use the word inspiration to describe his view of the Bible, but he does not mean by inspiration that God spoke, God breathed these words that holy men of God pen, but just that the Bible is inspiring like your favorite poet or writer. Or when he uses the word salvation, he's not talking about being saved from our sin and our future judgment to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's talking about something contemporary and current. So the first trait of these false teachers is they are devious, they are deceptive. 
A second trait of a false teacher in verse 1 is they are deadly. Look again in the latter part of verse 1. Denying the sovereign Lord who brought, bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Uh, they are deadly in the sense that they produce death, not life, to those who hear them. And they are deadly in the sense that they're going to be judged. They're going to be uh, come under the condemnation of God for their false teaching. So they are devious. They are deadly. And number three, verse two says they are popular. Many will follow their shameful ways. See that? Many. Many will follow their shameful ways. That's the tragedy of it all. These are people who think they're being led into the way of the truth and the life when they're, they're, they're being deceived by these false prophets. But they're very popular. And one of the reasons they're popular is because they, they, they teach what unregenerate people, unregenerate religious people want to hear. Multitudes today don't want to hear about hell. Well, they're happy to hear about heaven, but not about hell. They're happy to hear about grace, but not about judgment. And so these these false preachers, they they do what Paul said would happen in the last days. They tickle the ears of people who want to be stroked and tell, told how wonderful they are, even though they're still in their sin and rebellion. And their greatest need is to repent, believe, be transformed by the power of the gospel. Douglas Webster teaches preaching at the Beast and Divinity School in Birmingham in his book, Selling Jesus, What's Wrong with Marketing the Church, said, and I quote, there are so many illustrations in today's market-sensitive sermons that the hearer forgets the biblical truth that is being illustrated. So many personal antidotes that the hearer knows the pastor better than the hearer knows Christ. No wonder nominal Christians leave the church feeling upbeat. Their self-esteem is safely intact. Their minds and hearts have been sparked and soothed with soundbite theology, Christian maxims, and a few practical pointers dealing with self-esteem, kids, or work. But the question remains, has the word of God been effectively and faithfully proclaimed, penetrating comfort zones and the veneer of self-satisfaction with the truth of Jesus Christ? And tragically, all too often, it has not happened. Too many false teachers abroad in the land. They're very popular. Peter says in verse 2, many will follow their shameful ways. The fourth attribute of a false teacher is he is influential. Look again in verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into disrepute. They are influential in causing people to reject the way of truth. Now, what is the way of truth that, that Peter's talking about? He's talking about 
Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Before Christians were known as Christians, they were known as followers of the way. And so these false teachers bring the way of true salvation through repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ into disrepute. And they are very influential in gaining the following. I first went to Kenya, East Africa, 30 years ago, 1991. With a large Lakeview team, mostly medical personnel who were working in the Senwick Hospital there. And every day I would go out into the bush, spend the day in the bush with David Khalil, a wonderful, godly preacher of the gospel and perhaps the greatest translator that I've ever worked with. I love David Khalil. And one day we were, we were in a little village there and David was engaging some people in conversation and there was a young Kenyan man, I found out later his name was Robert, he was 18 years of age. And so I sat down next to Robert outside this little mud house while David was inside engage him in conversation. He was eager to talk to an American. His English was flawless. And he surprised me when he said, I listen to your American preachers on my radio. I thought, you got a, you got a radio? You didn't have any electricity out here. No electricity, no running away. This is out in the bush. I, I said, Robert, how do you power your radio? He said, oh, I'll plug it into a, a car battery. We'll get it loud and clear. I said, who do you listen to? And he began to name them. And my heart sank. Some of the most well-known false prophets in America are broadcasting their devious false doctrine all across sub-Saharan Africa. The great need for Africa is not so much evangelism. They've been evangelized. They need to have sound doctrine taught to them. That's why we send our pastors to Africa to teach sound doctrine. They are influential and leading people to destruction. Number five, we're talking about characteristics of a false teacher. Number five. They are greedy. Look in verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Not all false teachers are greedy, but a lot of them are. And uh, you listen. And when they tell you, if you'll send me, if you'll sow a seed of $100, God will send 1000 to you. Change the channel. They're greedy. Joel Osteen lives in a home valued at $10.5 million. Let that settle in. And he follows the one who said foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You can send a lot of missionaries out with a house that costs that much. If he's your favorite preacher, I'm not apologizing to you. I'm helping you tonight. 
Kenneth Copeland bragged. I've heard it with these ears. He said, I'm now worth one billion. And he said, that's with a B, billion dollars. He's got his own airstrip and his own plane. Greedy. Have they not read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and apparently they have not. Number six, they are dishonest. Look again in verse three. Uh, in their condemnation, these teachers will exploit you. Watch this, with stories they have made up. They just make up stuff, bear false witness. Truth means nothing to them. They're just driven by their desire for popularity and greed and fame, acclaim. Number seven, they are condemned, condemnation. Last sentence in verse three. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. They may get away with it for a while, but the wrath of God rests upon them and the day of reckoning will come when God decides to bring down the hammer of his judgment over these false teachers. So there you have it. They are devious, deadly, popular, influential, greedy, dishonest, and they are under condemnation. All that is simply to say that what we believe matters. What we believe matters eternally. And if you and I believe the false doctrines propagated by these false prophets, then we will be condemned along with these false teachers ourselves. How do we discern? between the true and the false doctrine? The answer is to saturate our minds with this blessed book. Just know this book and know it well. In his book, Waiting, Ben Patterson writes, and I quote, the American Banking Association once sponsored a two-week training program to help bank tellers detect counterfeit bills. The program was unique. Never during the two-week training did the tellers even look at a counterfeit bill. Nor did they listen to any lectures concerning the characteristics of counterfeit bills. All they did for two weeks was handle authentic Currency, hour after hour, day after day, until they were so familiar with the truth that they could not possibly be fooled by the false. You want to guard against being deceived by these false teachers? Then know this book of truth. And when your ears hear false doctrine, you will know in your spirit because the spirit of God will take the word of God that you've hidden in your heart and he will show you this is error. Okay. Number two, 
not only the profile of the false teachers, but number two, the sovereignty of God over false teachers. We don't need to be wringing our hands about these false teachers. God is sovereign. He hadn't abdicated his throne. They're no threat to him. It can be a threat to us if we're, if we're naive, but they're no threat to God. So, we see this first in verse 4, where we see that God judged the sinful angels. All right, look in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, actually it's the word tartos, it's just a, a holding place. It's not, the, it's not the lake of fire. That comes later. Putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. So, there are the angels that sin. There is an honest difference of opinion about among Bible scholars as to what is referenced here. My personal view is it is a reference to the rebellion in heaven recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 14 where Lucifer, one of the highest of all the angels, decided that he would usurp the place of God and not once, not twice, not three times, four times, or but five times, Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will be God. And God said, no, you won't. And cast him from heaven. And according to the apocalypse, the book of the Revelation, a third of the holy angels fell with these, with Lucifer. God judged those who rebelled against him. Peter's making the case here. God is sovereign over these false teachers. God judged the sinful angels. God will judge them if they don't repent. Next, God judged the ancient world of Noah's day. Look in verse 5. If he, God, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, the preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. God told Noah, a preacher of righteousness, he was going to send a flood and he's going to destroy all the earth and everything on the earth in a worldwide flood. God told Noah to build a boat. For 120 years, Noah worked on that boat until the day came when God told Noah to get his wife and his three sons and their wives and come into the boat and God closed up the door, ark of safety, type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the rains came down and the floods came up. It was the, it was the wrath of God against that sinful generation in Noah's day. So bad, God had to destroy them and start over again. And Peter's saying, if God didn't spare the world in Noah's day, and if God didn't spare the sinful angels when they sinned, who do these false teachers think they are to think they're going to get away with these shenanigans? Number three, verses six through eight, God judge Sodom and Gomorrah. If you see here, verse four, if God did not spare, verse five, if he did not spare, verse six, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lies of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in, by his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he heard. Now that's a, prob that's a problem passage right there because if you know the book of Genesis, you know that uh, uh, Lot was not a, a model of uh, upstanding righteous living. But apparently... In the eyes of God, he was a righteous man because he, he knew God, but he compromised. He decided he wanted to pitch his tents toward uh, Sodom. He wanted to have the best of both worlds. He wanted to have God on one hand and the world on the other hand. And he had to be rescued. He had to be rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah when God sent the burning sulfur down to consume that ancient city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But compared to the others in that day, he was a righteous man. And it says here that his soul was vexed. He was tormented. He was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. That's what he saw and heard. That, that's the way we ought to be when we look at the, the moral depravity, which is exceedingly widespread in our day. Some of us my age remember when things were a little more uh, moral, a lot more moral, I might say. Things that were done in the darkness are now being celebrated in the light. We need to be careful we don't get too close to Sodom and Gomorrah. Get tainted. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent down, there it is in the text, consume them with fire. Michael Green, in his commentary on 2 Peter, said, and I quote, There are curious parallels between our contemporary scene and Sodom. For that city was as famed for its affluence and softness as for its immorality. And of course, like any men come of age, they thought they had outgrown the idea of God. They found out their mistake too late. We don't win the world by compromising with the world. We win the world by living holy, godly lives in Christ Jesus. We are to be distinct. We are to be separate in the world, but not of the world. We're in the world to bear witness to Christ. We're not in the world to be like the world. And, and so what, what Peter does here when he's talking about these false teachers, he's saying, God is sovereign over these false teachers. They may have the ascendancy right now as far as multitudes of people who follow their false teaching. But he says, God judged the ancient world of Noah's day, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and God judged the sinful angels. He's got a track record. And then last year, verses nine and 10, God will judge the unrighteous and he will rescue the righteous. So let's look in verse 10. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials 
We don't need to be fearful. God will rescue us if, if we'll trust the Lord. We'll seek the Lord. We're not going to be consumed by this. We're, God, God will protect us if our heart is right toward him. He will rescue us from trials. It doesn't mean we, we won't have a hard time. We saw in the sermon this morning, uh, the, Peter and John and the apostles were thrown in jail time and time again. They were rescued time and time again, but ultimately they laid their lives down as martyrs for the faith, all except for John. And so there's the rescue that we are promised here if we are truly walking with God. But then there is the judgment that comes to the unrighteous. Look again in verse 9. And to hold the unrighteous with a day of judgment. There is a day of judgment coming when all the wrongdoers will receive the due judgment of their evil deeds. There's the day of judgment coming while continuing their punishment. This is especially true, this is verse 10, of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature, that is the flesh, who follow this sinful nature and despise authority. So false teachers have a sinful nature. So do true teachers have a sinful nature. We all have a sinful nature. But those of us who are in Christ, we have a new nature as well. And we are to feed our new nature and to starve our sinful nature. But a false teacher, he, he doesn't feed his new nature because a false teacher doesn't have a new nature. A false teacher is headed straight for the judgment of God. So God is sovereign in all these matters. And we can rejoice in that. Now, our sovereign God has made a way of escape. And that way of escape is found through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who flee to Jesus and his substitutionary atoning death on Calvary's cross, crying out to God in heaven for mercy and forgiveness and put their faith and trust in him, will receive this new nature. They'll be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Their names will be recorded in the book of life. They will become the sons and daughters of God. And they will be eternally secure in him. They will never face the wrath of God because they have the righteousness of Christ imputed to them when they put their faith and trust in Jesus. If that's never happened to you, it can happen tonight if you'll come to Christ. The invitation of Jesus is open. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You have no excuse. You've heard enough gospel truth tonight to save you forever if you'll come to Jesus. God, our Father, I pray for those in this room who do not know Christ that tonight be, might be a life-transforming night as they encounter the resurrected Christ in salvation. For their eternal salvation and for your great glory, we ask it in the name of Jesus, our high priest. 
Amen. We stand now. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.